This study is called the Eternal Gospel of Jesus. Rather than just calling it the Gospel, I'm emphasizing that it's eternal, which um, is something hard for humans to comprehend. You know, everything to us has a beginning and an end. You go through timelines in school, and you have like the beginning of a civilization. You have the end of a civilization, a birth of a person, death of a person. Um, eternal is something that just keeps going in both directions. It doesn't have a starting point. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what well, we, we've talked about a few times, out being outside of time, how God is, uh, the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity. Um, we're going to kind of, I'm going to use some visualizations to kind of help us understand that better because a lot of people come up to me and they say, what does that mean? Um, <clears throat> I don't understand it, and that's fine because it's, technically a part of um, theoretical physics, the field of theoretical physics, but it, it kind of branches over into reality as we know it, and um, it really kind of, it does fit the biblical narrative. So um, I'm going to talk about what being outside of time means, because that's where God dwells, God and his angels. Um, <clears throat> that's where this, this spiritual battle that we always talk about is going on. You can't see it, uh, but it's going on all around us. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. But our goals for this evening, ultimately, are to have an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we should all, and at Stillwater Bible, be very familiar with. But we're going to go over it so we can kind of talk about some, uh, some interesting characteristics of it. Uh, the plan for the gospel has always existed. <clears throat> the gospel didn't just happen one day when sin started and go, God goes, uh-oh, Sin's a problem. I'm going to have to create this gospel plan. My son's going to have to die for everybody. You know, that's not the way it happens. So um, names are significant. And that, that would be like the names of people, the names of places. When you're going through scripture and you see things like Gog and Magog, what does that mean? And how can I find out what the origins are and what it actually means today? Um, and the heavens are telling of the glory of God. <clears throat> so we're going to talk a little bit about the gospel, a little bit about names, a little bit about one of my favorite topics, and that's the heavens or stars, constellations, stuff like that. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So the gospel. So we're going to touch on a lot of this is probably very familiar to y'all, but uh, we're going to go over <clears throat> a little bit about the what we call the gospels or the four gospels. First of all, there's, uh, of course, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was a Levite, a Jewish man, member of the Levite tribe, Levite tribe. Uh, the book presents Jesus as the Jewish what? King. king. And I didn't put king, I put Jewish king because his Jewishness is emphasized in this book with the genealogy at the beginning. And he had to be a Jew to be the king of the Jews, so... <clears throat> that was one of the requirements. So, um, this book focuses on what Jesus said. So, if you take out what Jesus said out of the book of Matthew, it's almost it's the shortest book because uh, first of all, Matthew was skilled at shorthand writing. He was a tax collector. His job was to take notes. And that was a very common goal, uh, skill in those days. And if you had that skill, you were well taken care of because people didn't have copy machines. 
We didn't have computers. We didn't have, Z you know what Xeroxes are, if anyone knows, or mimeograph sheets. You remember what those are? Yeah. I had an old English teacher that used to uh, call, say, pass your mimeograph sheets for it. And I, I, no one knows what those, no one really even knew what those were. She just called them that. So, um, so we, we have skill, we have shorthand writers in, in these days, and they literally just copied everything by hand. So, and shorthand was very common because you could write down um, pretty much anything verbatim, depending on, I mean, I mean, even, you know, if the person's speaking real quickly. So Matthew was skilled at shorthand, uh, which means he most likely, when you read the discourses in Matthew, probably wrote them down verbatim. You know, a lot of people say, well, Matthew was wrote later, or it was not written at the time of Jesus. But um, if anyone's watched the Chosen uh, show, Matthew is, of course, always writing, you know, they, whenever he was called by Jesus, He's like, I, I accidentally brought this book with me. What should I do with it? And, of course, Jesus kind of humorously says, well, you might need it later. So, and, of course, he's been writing what Jesus has been saying all along throughout the series. And that's possibly what happened, um, that he, you know, sat there when Jesus was giving his discourses and wrote everything down verbatim. So it's uh, very likely that everything that's in there is, of course, it's the Word of God, so it's perfect, but it's what he said. All right, so that's Matthew. Book of Mark. Mark was the. How many can say that word? What was the? <laughs> oh, did I not get the last one there? Oh, sorry. Uh, extensively wrote down the discourses, possibly verbatim. Oh. Amanuensis. Amanuensis. Very good. So it looks like something my four-year-old would say. Just amanuensis, but uh, it means scribe or secretary. You could think of him as a personal assistant to. Uh, Peter. So Mark, based on a lot of the scriptures, is uh, is the amanuensis or the skillful writer, skillful writer, uh, scribe, secretary, what you want to call it for Peter. So sometimes, sometimes people call it the book of Peter, but uh, it's called Mark, so we'll just call it Mark. So uh, there's no concern for genealogy in this book because it presents Jesus as the servant, suffering servant. No one cares about a servant's genealogy. That was kind of harsh, wasn't it? I mean, you know, we care about everybody, but you know what I mean. In those days, and you know, when, if you're a servant, no one really, you, you were an employee, basically. So, focuses on what Jesus did. <clears throat> All right, then we have Luke. Likely a Gentile, not a big deal if he was or wasn't. I mean, we do have writers in the Old Testament that were Gentile. It's very sparse, but Nebuchadnezzar wrote an entire chapter in Daniel, so technically we have two Gentiles if Luke's a Gentile. Um, extensive medical knowledge, likely a doctor. There's more medical terms in Luke than any other book in the Bible in Greek. And therefore, you get a lot of the very detailed medical terminology during things like the crucifixion and so forth. Um, the word excruciating actually comes from crucifixion, so or a form of it. So, um, like they actually, like medical professionals actually, have taken over the years, uh, just throughout history, information from from about crucifixion from the Bible itself, from Luke's from Luke's works. So. Uh, focuses on what Jesus, oh, presents Jesus as the Son of Man. 
<clears throat> and it focuses on what Jesus felt. What? Hmm? What's the what? Felt. Okay. F E L T. So John, the last book, the last of the Gospels, uh, there were seven miracles. Can you guess how many discourses there were? Seven discourses. And what do you think? Seven I am statements. Presents Jesus as the Son of God. And of course, the number seven, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. We're going to talk about numbers in general, not the book of numbers. But, okay, take that back. We're going to talk about numbers. And we will also talk about a chapter in the book of Numbers um, in a few weeks and how some numbers are very significant throughout the Bible. The number seven specifically means perfection, completeness. Um, that's why the number six is like imperfection or man. Um, this presents Jesus as the Son of God, and it focuses on who Jesus was or is, but was historically. All right, so the gospel, the word gospel is used about 97 times in the New Testament. I, well, okay, it's used 97 times in the New American Standard 95 version. There's two versions of New American Standard. I don't recommend the newest one um, because there's a lot of stuff that's been, like in the New American Standard 95, there's things that are bracketed that could be, could be missing, could be relevant. And in the newest New American Standard, it's just, it's just gone. There's just text missing, so just omitted. So it makes, makes for a horrible study uh, uh, translation. So NASB 95, I personally recommend um, if you're studying New American Standard. So that'd be the one we've always used here. The, the other one just came out recently. So um, there's about 90 to 100 times that the word gospel is used, depending on the translation. I think it's like 92 and... NIV and 99 and King James, so forth. So, um, <clears throat> it's of course defined in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. We should all know this verse, and if you don't, I'll read it. It's for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died. If you want to, under well, I didn't write it down on your, but yeah, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. <clears throat> we'll get back to that. So, the gospel was promised by God through the prophets. The gospel wasn't something that just started in the New Testament. Okay, we got Jesus now, now we got to spread the gospel of Jesus. So it didn't just kind of start then. It was actually promised in the Old Testament. So, and we call it, I call it the eternal gospel of Jesus because the gospel is about Jesus and it's eternal. It's not something that had a beginning. Um, in uh, Romans 1, 1 through 2 is, is where you can, if you want to write that down, Ro Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. Some translations say, um, oh, I can't remember the word now. No, I'll just, never mind. If I can't think of it, it's fine. Uh, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Basically gives an idea that it was promised back when in eternity, basically. Not on a certain date or anything like that. <clears throat> so, 
servant of Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets, or you could, you could say basically the writers of the Old Testament or the writers of the Bible. The gospel isn't a New Testament concept. The gospel has always existed. If you want to write 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. <clears throat> and we are to preach the gospel, of course. And there's a whole bunch of verses. That's just three lines of them I thought I would put in there. So, that said, I want to talk about being outside of time. <coughs> Excuse me. So, if I were to say to you, let's say you're, let's say we are in this room, we're in time right now, okay? We are three-dimensional creatures in a fourth dimension called time. We'll talk about that. By the way, okay, so this is no dimension, zero dimensions, okay? This is one dimension, just a line, okay? This is two dimensions. And if you want to think of a two-dimensional person, this is not even a person, this is a playing card, but there's no king or queen on here. If you want to think of this as a person, this would be a two-dimensional person, okay? We're going to, you'll, you'll say, why in the world is he talking about playing cards as people? Well, we'll talk about that in a second to give you kind of a, a way to visualize being outside of a dimension. So you got zero dimensions, one, two, what do you think that is? Three. Three dimensions. So if I hold up uh, this bottle, what are you seeing it in right now? Three. Are you sure? Yeah, Can you see on the other side of it? Can you see the back? Well, you can see through it. Okay. Let's try something else. Uh, there we go. How about that? Can you see behind it? That's two dimensions. Why? Because you can't see behind it. You're only seeing, in, in this instance of time, as we call it, you're seeing a two-dimensional version of this. Now, if, I, if you were doing this, you're still only seeing two dimensions at any given moment. You're not seeing all around it in every given moment, okay? All right, so why does that... Why what does that matter? Okay, so if we are in if this is one, that's two, that's three, that's four. If this is us, what is this? Future. Future? Okay. Well that's actually the fourth dimension is what? Anyone know? Could be time. It's already been proven by math and physics, and Einstein actually was the one that proved it. His general relativity and special relativity proved that time is a physical property. Time can be altered by mass acceleration and gravity. I don't mean to give you a physics lesson, but time is something that um, we experience. We're in. We are three-dimensional creatures currently in time. We can't escape it. Okay. Actually, did you know? I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. We're time travelers. Did you know that? We're moving into the future at one minute per minute. It's a joke, by the way. So um, anyway, so yes, that's we are in time, but we're moving at a certain rate. We can't go back. Can't go forward. We can go forward, but not 
Only if we accelerate. There, there, there's been experiments done where if you accelerate at a certain, if you stop, don't worry, accelerate in space or in a vacuum, time will slow down for you. You will actually be younger than others, but just by a fraction. But, but if you go the speed of light for a certain, certain amount of time or near the speed of light, you can't go the speed of light. But if you go near the speed of light, time will slow down for you. That's been proven in the lab and proven in uh, satellites. Geostationary satellites have to be, their time has to be adjusted all the time because they, all the time because they're slowing down or speeding up depending on how fast they're orbiting. Okay, does your head hurt yet? No? Okay, good. Um, so, if this is us, let's say that two dimensions, let, let's imagine back to this playing card. Now, and now if it was, okay, there's little angels on here. Is that supposed to be an angel? Yeah, little children with wings, I guess. So. Little, little angels, let's say that this is a person, okay? We are three-dimensional people. We have length, width, and height. Some of us a little more than others. So, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> sorry, I was a joke. <laughs> um, some of us more than others. No, um, so let's say this is a person. It's two-dimensional, okay? Now let's say this person uh, comes in contact with another person of its kind. What's it gonna see? A line. A line, right, so this person looking at you right now, right? It sees a line, all right? It's, it cannot perceive anything outside, but I can get as close to the, let, let's say I get really close to this card and I, I, I get to know it, you know, I get to understand everything about it. Can it see me? No, it can't see me, right? So think of God as being, you know, knowing everything about you. He's right there. You can't perceive him though, okay? So let's say I poke my marker here into his reality and what do you think he's going to see? He's going to see a, a what? A line. A line. Well, let's say I point it this way. It's a circle, right? He's not going to see a pen because it's three-dimensional, right? He can't see a three-dimensional object because it's something that his little two-dimensional brain can't, can't um, con basically just can't perceive. What's that? Fathom. Can't fathom, thank you. So picture like an ant crawling on a... Does anyone want to know what a, uh, what's that strip called that goes backwards and Mobius. Mobius strip. An ant crawling on a Mobius strip. You all know what a Mobius strip is? So you take a strip and you twist two ends and put it together. What would an ant see crawling on a Mobius strip? You would see it going around and above on the bottom and on the top and on the, but the ant would see just straight going ahead, right? Just moving ahead, not going up now. Couldn't see everything around it and all that stuff. So. A butterfly came in, an ant's going to not perceive it because it's outside of his, you know, he's looking straight ahead, he's not looking all around. So that's kind of a very rough illustration of being in a higher dimension, being able to perceive something in a lower dimension, or being in a lower dimension and not being able to perceive something in a higher dimension. Okay? Any questions? Did I completely lose anybody? No? You're, you sure? Okay, just making sure. All right. So <clears throat> that said, God is outside of what we call time. We experience time going from left to right or from past to future. God is outside of that. And I'm not gonna say what, how he perceives it, but the best way you can probably imagine it would be like seeing the past and the future all at once. Okay, so you get the past over there. I'm gonna go over here and see what happened in the Middle Ages. And oh, there's, there's Jeremiah teaching this class way over here. And oh, there's the future. They don't know about that yet. You know, stuff like that. So 
that's one way you can kind of imagine that. So, yet we can't see that because we are in, we are bound to this thing we call time, and these are three-dimensional selves, and he's outside of that. So, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because we're going to talk about more of that as the time as time goes by. So, <clears throat> all right, moving on. So, any questions? No physics questions or anything like that. All right. We will not have a quiz over the physics stuff. Yeah. I saw a thing uh, Monday, I think it was, on the SR-71. Mm -hmm. They said they took off and they flew east and they were catching the sunrise. Yeah. They, it was actually they were going yeah, so fast. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff, I love talking about that stuff, obviously. But, um, but yeah, it, uh, sometimes it hurts. My wife hates when I start talking about it because uh, she says, stop. It, no, I don't understand it. So um, <clears throat> it gets fun. Uh, Science has proved, I'll just say this, throw this out there, science in the most recent years, Large Hadron Collider, stuff like that, has, has proved that there's actually probably at least 10 dimensions. Um, I personally think there are, and that that's, that's these higher dimensions we can't perceive. That's where angels exist, God, you know, third heaven, stuff like that. That's where all these higher planes we can't see or visualize exist, and that's where we find, you know, like I said, angels and so forth. And... Um, there was a there was a Jewish uh, rabbi or scribe I I think it was the 13th or 14th century Nachmanides Nachmanides name's hard to say and he's by studying Genesis actually determined that there were ten dimensions uh, just by studying Genesis in the Hebrew so anyway I just thought that was kind of interesting that they both figured that out one with the Bible and one with billions of dollars and a very large metal ring so anyway let's move on so gospel in Genesis. That's kind of a weird thing to say, right? I thought Genesis just had beginnings in it. All right, well, we're going to talk about names real quick. People tend to change names of people and places, which causes confusion. So there was this place called St. Petersburg, founded by Tsar Peter the Great. In 1703, he called it St. Petersburg. It was then renamed to Petrograd in 1914. Why are we talking about this? Well, because names change and some names don't. But we'll talk about that in a second. At the start of World War One, they changed it to 19 or to Petrograd because they thought it sounded too German. So Tsar Peter, 1914, and then they renamed it to Leningrad in 1924 after Vladimir Lenin, and it was named Lenin until 1991 and they changed it back to St. Petersburg <clears throat> when they had the first presidential or Russian presidential election 54% of the voters chose to restore the original name alright so that's that's St. Petersburg so that just shows you how names of places tend to change and it's usually by people Istanbul is the capital of the world was the capital of the old world was named Byzantium B-Y-Z-A-N-T-I-U-M. Don't worry, this won't be on the quiz. It's just fun filling the blank stuff. It was named Byzantium from the 17th century B.C. So when the cap, when this city was founded, they named it Byzantium. <coughs> when Constantinople rose, or sorry, when Constantine rose to power, uh, he didn't like the fact that Rome was the capital of the world. He didn't like Rome. Constantine was an interesting guy. He uh, <coughs> he didn't support in what was called inconvenient. Uh, inconvenient babies, basically abortion. He didn't support that. Um, he's the one that made it legal again to be Christian. 
Um, a lot of interesting things happened under his rule, but he, he ended up moving the capital of the world to Constant or to Byzantium, renamed it Constantinople, and it was renamed that until 1453. And then they renamed it to Istanbul, which is what it's named today. So from 1543, 1453 to today, it's still called it. So when you hear Istanbul in the news, that used to be the world capital, and it's had several names. So Cape Canaveral, that's another one. It used to be called Port Canaveral. Then they renamed it to the city of Cape Canaveral. Then it was renamed to Cape Kennedy. And then they changed it back to Cape Canaveral in 1973. So it was named Port Canaveral, renamed to the city of Cape Canaveral, renamed it to Cape Kennedy, renamed to Cape Canaveral in 1973. So aren't you glad we don't do that with Stillwater? I don't know, Stillwater may have had name changes on it. I haven't looked. It's been Stillwater since I've known, so. All right, so we don't change the name of our ancestors, though, do we? I mean, some of us might, but uh, we might call our kids things that we don't normally call them, but uh, we don't change the name of our ancestors. So if you were the prophet Isaiah and were called to speak to the, or about the Persians, which he did, there was pro there's prophecies in, in Isaiah and Daniel and so forth where um, a lot of these countries, if you don't think about it and th look at history, a lot of these countries didn't exist yet. Some of these world empires didn't exist. Greece, you know, whenever Daniel's praying and Gabriel comes and says, uh, you know, I'm, I, I was fighting Prince of Persia, and now i got to go fight the Prince of Greece after that. And it's like, wait a minute, Greece didn't exist yet. So, um, again, angels outside of time can see all of reality that are our time, you know, before past, you know, past, present, future to us. We only experience the present. We know about the past. We don't know about the future. Um, otherwise, God and his angels can see all of that. So, um, but if you were to be the prophet Isaiah and wanted to speak of the Persians over a century before they emerged as an empire, how would you refer to them? You would call them the descendants of Elam, E-L-A-M, the forebears of the Persians, which is what he calls them. And if we go back to the table of nations, which is if you want to write Genesis 10, study that sometime, that's where you get a lot of these original names and locations, and you can pull up a map and say, oh, Elam, that's Persia, or Iran, and uh, stuff like that. So we're all related to Ham, Shem, and Japheth somehow, so, or Noah, actually. But, yeah. <clears throat> but we all come from that. In Genesis 10, that's basically um, the ultimate start of our family tree, you could say. All right, so the root meanings of the original names must be researched for this next part. So we're going to talk about what some of these names mean in Genesis 5. So Genesis 5 is where this little section is kind of focused on. I've talked about this for a few weeks now. Genesis 5 is a genealogy. Not fun to read. It's just names. But it's kind of interesting when you read what these names mean. So what does Adam mean? Does anyone know? I've, I've actually given the name. You can circle man. Yeah, or it means dirt. The Hebrew word means dirt. But yeah, the Adam means man. And of course, woman means out of man. But if you just want to circle man there and under the first man so you don't have to write it down. What does Seth mean? It means appointed. 
the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he became the father of son of his own likeness. According to his image, he named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, he became the father of Seth. And it keeps going. So basically, that's the whole chapter. It's just from Adam all the way to Noah. So there are 32 verses there. I'll let you read them in your own time. But uh, So what's Adam mean? Man. What's Seth mean? Appointed. And we say that because Eve said, does anyone know why Seth's called appointed? Because Eve said, for God has appointed me another seed instead of Abel. Who came? Who Cain slew? Whom Cain slew? Okay. So, what does Enosh mean? That would be the child of Seth. It means mortal, or frail, or miserable. Why would you name your kid that? There's sometimes I want to name my kid that, but no. mortal, frail, or miserable. It means to be incurable. All right. So mortal. What does Kenan mean? There's some translations that say Canaan. It's not the same thing. Kenan's different. Sorrow. Let me just circle sorrow. Dirge or elegy. So a lot of a lot of sad names these families are giving their kids. But then Mahalalel comes along. It's kind of hard to say, but his name is much better. Uh, it means blessed, the blessed God. So if you want to write blessed and circle blessed and God, it means the blessed God. So Mahala is, is blessed or praise, and then the L or the all at the end is uh, L. All right, now what does, does anyone know how to pronounce this next name? It looks like Jared, right? How would you say it in Hebrew? How does, huh? Yared, yeah, very good. So Yared or, um, yeah, it means shall come down or shall descend. <coughs> I have a couple of friends named Jared, and I'll say, what's up, Yared? And they're like, oh. they like Jared better. So. <coughs> so it means to come down, or shall come down. For this, for this study, we're going to call it shall come down. Uh, what is, does anyone know what Enoch means? Teaching. teaching. Yeah. Commencement. Teaching. Lesson. Stuff like that. And no, does anyone know what Methuselah means? That's an interesting name. What's interesting about Methuselah? He was old. He lived the longest. Was it 965? Nine, I think. 69 years? Uh, 960. Something like that. It, 900, it was enough years. Enough, yeah, a long time. Almost a century. 969. Um, I put their sea fig. I, you can ignore that. I don't have any pictures on this about that, but it was just a, showing all the lifespans. So, um, but I put on there. Perhaps Enoch received a prophecy because he named his son. What his name means is his death shall bring. So his name literally means his death will bring or shall bring. If you want to write that down, perhaps Enoch received a prophecy and was told that as long as his son was alive, the judgment of the flood would be withheld because the year that he died, the flood began. 
You know what other critics say about that? They say, yeah, it's just a coincidence. You know how we feel about that. So, But perhaps Enoch, who's actually given prophecies in other books, um, the Bible, actual Bible books, not uh, apocryphal books, but actual books, um, it's apparent that Enoch was a prophet and uh, actually prophesied about the second coming. So, All right, what does Lamech mean? What does that sound like? Lament, right? It, it's actually the same root of lament. We still use that word today. Um, and it means despairing or dis- the despairing. And of course, Noah. What does Noah mean? You want to know? Comfort or rest, relief. Has anyone watched that movie yet? Um, the Times of Noah? Is it Days of Noah? I think it was the Days of Noah, yeah. It's definitely one you don't want to watch with your kids because it's, it's kind of a, it's a dark story about the before the flood. Um, but yeah, a lot of these characters are in there. So a couple of these characters are in there. All right, so if you, write, if you take all these words and you write them down, the meanings of these words, you know what you get? You get man-appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching his death. Whose death? God. Because we're talking about God. Or Jesus, yeah. The blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing comfort. Hmm. Kind of interesting, isn't it? And if, you t- if those names are in any other order, it wouldn't really work. So, it may just be a coincidence. But... You know how I feel about that. I don't believe in that thing. So um, so what's the implication of this? Again, man appointed mortal sorrow. So you got man creates. What's appointed mortal sorrow mean? But he brought death, right? How? Sin. The blessed God shall come down. Who's that? Jesus. Teaching Enoch. I'm not teaching Enoch, but that's what the name is. His death shall bring the despairing. Who's the despairing? Those with mortal sorrow, right? Mankind. Teaching his death shall bring the despairing comfort. And how does he do that? How does he bring the despairing comfort that have mortal sorrow because of sin? Paying for sin, right? Okay. Any questions? Is that kind of neat? So there's a gospel message, kind of you could say hidden, kind of if you if you just read over it and you saw oh it's the genealogy I'm going to go to chapter six, um, you'd miss this. So it's it's very interesting that it, it spells out this kind of basically the gospel message in advance in the very first chapters of the Bible you could say. All right, so the implications of this are that the New Testament gospel is in the Old Testament in a genealogy. I mean, you could say that Jewish scribes somehow conspired to hide the gospel in, the, in Genesis. You think that's, you think, or you think Moses did that? You think he knew he was doing that? Pretty interesting. So there's, I've got some sources for this. Um, there's a book by uh, Alfred Jones, Dictionary of Old Testament Proper Names, um, Arthur Pink, Leanings in Genesis. He's from the Moody Bible Institute. 
Ray Stedman, the beginnings of word books. So there's a, if you want to talk about that later, we can. All right, so any questions before we move on to space stuff, star stuff? How many of you uh, heard about the planetary alignment yesterday? How many of you actually went out and saw it? It wasn't as spectacular as they, I mean, there, you had the moon way up here, like 90 degrees, and then Mars, and then clouds, and then Venus, and then your, uh, Uranus, well, Uranus was like in there, but it's so far away, it's hard to see. And yeah, it just wasn't spectacular, so. I, I sat out there until like 10.30 freezing, and uh, when the clouds started rolling, I said, okay, going to bed. So, <clears throat> but anyway, so, Gospel in the Stars. Before we go on, I want to explain two words, actually four words. So, astronomy and astrology, okay? I, you have no idea how many people come up to me and they say, I love your astrology work. And I go, whoa, 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 no, 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 I don't do astrology. Astrology is the idea that the movements of the stars somehow affect your lives, okay? No, it's not, that's spiritual, it, it's, it's mysticism, and, all, and it goes way back to Babylon. But, um, so astronomy is the scientific study of the stars, planets, so forth, movements, of, you know. So, so there is a difference. Before I say astrology, it sounds like a study word, but that's astronomy. Astrology is the bad one. So, so please don't tell me how much you love my astrology, because I, I don't do astrology. No, don't listen to it. No. All right. So, <clears throat> and plus, there's two other words we're going to talk about. One that you're probably familiar with is zodiac. It's a, it's from a Greek root that means animal. And then you've got the word matzeroth, which is a Hebrew word meaning. Stars or constellations, groups of stars. So Matsaroth is, and Zodiac are synonymous in a way. Matsaroth, the way people believe it was done, which it's really hard to dig up some of these old names of the stars in Hebrew. Um, but the Zodiac is what is used more to, rep, I mean, I'm going to say this, but I use the Zodiac. That's going to sound really bad. Everyone just looked up and went, what? just as a reference point. So when you look out at the sky, when, I, when I'm doing astrophotography or just looking through a telescope, so you've got the horizon, you've got, let's say this is the horizon, it's Oklahoma so it's pretty flat, then you got, let's say this is north, right, let's say this is north, let's say this is east. So you got the north over here, over here somewhere is the north stars, you don't know what it's called? Polaris, right, very good. And does it move? Yeah, just a little. Well, the movement of the Earth makes all the... There, what's that? Little Dipper. Little Dipper, very good. That's a really bad drawing of it. But, and then if you go over here, you've got, and I'm gonna do this really bad too, but, and that's actually, by the way, if you look at that through a telescope, that's a binary star. All right, so that's the Big Dipper, or Ursa Major, Ursa Minor. If you take these two stars, this is just a little to help you, it will point right to North Star. So anyway, so all of these stars in the sky, all the sky just kind of do this around Polaris, the North Star. And in the South Pole, it does the same thing around the Southern Pole. So, 
So the zodiac, okay, so when you want to find a planet or the moon, you know, the moon's obviously easy to see. If you want to find a planet or something in our flat solar system, which I, I'll say it's flat, but it's not what you think. So you got the sun, you got Mercury, you got Venus, you got Earth, you got Mars, and then you got asteroid belt, and you got the gas giants out here, way over here that go way farther out. And then you got Pluto, which has a really weird orbit like that, kind of. So that's why it's not a planet anymore, but it's always gonna be a planet. But anyway, so, <clears throat> so as from our perspective, actually right here, when you look that way, you're gonna see the sun. And when the sun sets, when the earth is spinning, revolving, you're gonna see what planet? Venus and Mercury. If Mercury is not right here next to the Sun, it's usually really close so it's hard to see. But Venus is usually that really bright star that you see on the horizon at sunset and sunrise. So if you look toward the Sun and sunrise, sunset, you might even see it now, well a few hours maybe, um, you'll see Venus. So and then if you look the other direction you're gonna see and it's if, if we're all in this flat plane everything is gonna be in a sort of straight line called the ecliptic. It's just an imaginary line, but basically everything seems to follow it because of the, the uh, my eraser is alive and just jumped out of my hand. All right, so it's in a different dimension, yeah. So <clears throat> you've got the sun, which goes, you know, kind of like this. And then you've got all the, let's say this is the ecliptic, okay? I think I'm spelling this right, yeah. So the ecliptic is this route that the sun takes. The moon also takes it. Then you've also got all the planets, depending on where they are, all. So if you look up at the sky and you see the moon, you see the moon right here, and then you see another planet like Venus or something, and you just track that line, you're going to find all the other visible planets that might be out in that line. So Jupiter, Saturn, stuff like that, Mars. Mars is really high right now. So um, so that's the ecliptic. Now these constellations um, that we call, uh, they're, they're, and just so happens there's 12 of them, of the main ones that follow this, this imaginary line, which have been over, over, just over history have been studied, and they seem to match the 12 tribes of Israel. So um, I'll get into kind of why that's that's a thing and why we don't study that now obviously. When you pull up a zodiac it doesn't say Virgo the Virgin. It doesn't say Virgin Mary. It says Virgo the Virgin. It doesn't say Lion of the tribe of Judah. It says Leo the Lion. And it doesn't say Serpens or it doesn't say the Serpent which just happens to be right under the Lion getting his head smashed by a Lion. What's that make you think of? So um, <coughs> Basically, what happened is most likely those symbols got corrupted in Babylon, which is where pretty much everything got corrupted, like uh, you know pagan holidays and stuff like that. Holidays we celebrate today that might have a little bit of pagan edge to them. Sorry, but we do, like Christmas trees, Easter eggs, stuff like that. Not that it's bad, it's just that's where they came from. So, <clears throat> I mean, isn't it bad, technically? Anyway, you know, it's not bad to celebrate that way, I'm just saying. So, uh, there are 12 primary constellations along the ecliptic, and if you look at that picture, that's the 
ecliptic. So if you picture it as a circle. So it would be like this, but in all your different constellations just basically follow those 12 constellations. Now there's other constellations called deacons, and they're kind of scattered around them. And uh, we're, we're going to focus on the 12, though. So 12 constellations along the ecliptic. All right, now I'm not going to read through all of these, but this is kind of for your personal research if you want to look into this. There's a whole lot of sources for this information. Some of it may be right, some of it may be wrong, but there's scripture that goes along with it. But the, if you look at the first one, Virgo, it's, it's been uh, thought to, to link up with the Naphtali tribe. So there's three deacon constellations with Virgo, and if you notice, they all kind of fit the gospel narrative. So what it, if you can picture Adam and Eve sitting there in the garden at night, and there's stars everywhere, it's thought that perhaps God, when he was walking with them and so forth, taught them the gospel message and used the stars as like telling a story. Because if you take the original, and I don't have the Hebrew names here, but if you take the Hebrew names of all these stars, because what does it say uh, when God created the stars? He named them all, right? So there are names to all the stars. That's a lot of names. But um, if, uh, if basically it's thought that God taught Adam and Eve, and this may not have even happened, but it seems to, it seems to fit his character, you know, like he's going to focus on the gospel. He's not going to, and he created the stars for, a, he put them in the places that they're in for a reason. They weren't put there by Greek gods and so forth, and that's, that's what we look at, them, how we look at them now, but um, they were put there in these shapes for a reason. Some are brighter than others. It's thought that they would teach the gospel through the brightness of the stars. So the brightest one would be the first one. This this star is named this because, um, you know, Virgin Mary, blah, there's going to be a virgin that's going to conceive a child, the seed of a woman. And then they go to the next star, which is a little dimmer. And they it's just basically a storybook. Okay. So that said, you have in front of you a whole lot of information. There's even more out there. But scriptures, kind of descriptions of some of these, uh, of these uh, constellations. Again, the deacons are the smaller constellations that are not part of the 12. They're kind of around the 12, but they fit along with them. So for example, you've got Scorpio, Dan, which, tribe of Dan. Um, it's actually thought, uh, one of the, uh, one of the uh, deacons is a serpent. So it's the enemy which he contends, the, the desire holding the serpent, his foot on the head of the scorpion. Hercules, of course, it's not actually Hercules, but a warrior, uh, his foot over the head of the dragon. I think we probably know who that is, obviously. Sagittarius, tribe of Gad. Capricorn, tribe of Simeon. Pisces, tribe of Levi. And these may not even be accurate, but it's, it's really interesting because the history is so far back. And... Uh, a lot of this history of astronomy is actually kind of muddy. No one really knows where the first astronomers, people that studied the stars, really came from. And we know that, you know, what do you think of when you think of Bible and stars and studying stars and... Star David. Star David, what else? Hmm? What? Oh, Wiseman. I thought you said Lazarus for some reason. Uh, yeah, wise men, 
were likely, and there's a whole thing you can do about them, um, the men from the east that saw a star rising in what direction? The stars rise in the east? Or west, sorry. They were looking west. The stars rise in the west? So that, that would be weird if you saw a star rising in the west. But anyway, um, they were obviously very skilled in this. But the Matzeroth, the Matzeroth is the Hebrew word again for constellation. It's what you would call the zodiac before it became the zodiac. Um, if you Google Matzeroth, you're going to find tons of stuff about the gospel and the stars. There's books on it. Um, it was likely corrupted in Babylon into the astronomy and astrology tool, the zodiac. So, again, when I say I use the zodiac, strictly for reference. If I need to find a planet, and I know it's going to be over by uh, Orion or something, I know where Orion is. That's one of the easiest to find. And then I just, there it is. By the way, if you take the three star, just, just because it's fun, if you take the belt of Orion and go down this way, that star right there, that's Sirius A, the brightest star in the sky. Actually, what's the brightest star in the sky? The sun, very good. <laughs> Sorry. Second brightest star in the sky. Yeah. Brightest star in the night sky. There we go. So, <clears throat> but, all right. Ancient Persian and Arabian traditions credit astronomy, interestingly enough, to Adam, Seth, and Enoch. And it would not surprise me if they were taught astronomy by God himself. I have no proof of that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Josephus, the historian, actually credits the children of Seth with preserving this ancient knowledge. Or the ancient knowledge. <clears throat> so it's theorized, like we were saying, that the Matsaroth served as a mnemonic or a memory tool. So to be able to tell the gospel message in these objects in the sky. So, And again, they weren't put there by, you know, they weren't... They've been corrupted over the years. You know, God put the stars where they are for a reason. We don't. Are we taught in school that, you know, Virgo is the is Mary? No, because that would go against the world narrative. But um, it seems to make more. If you the more you study it, the more it looks like. Hey, these twelve just happen to be twelve. Fit the tribes. Fit the story of the gospel. Fit all of history. Really, I mean, it goes all the way. It ends with the tribe lion of Leo or the tribe of Judah which we know who the lion is. So, <clears throat> Babylon was the center of corruption of the world. Like I was saying, Christmas Day is from Saturnalia, the 25th. Um, the Yule Log, Mistletoe, Christmas Tree, stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff, like the Matzeroth, and a lot of our current traditions are from Babylon. Um, I've got a few notes here on the Matzeroth. Uh, it says here, and this is from several books. I, uh, I've got sources here if you want them. Uh, the people probably from their ancestor Noah, the same knowledge of it Sir William Jones considers all the early na nations possessed. Abraham may have added the superior science, which all antiquity attributes to the Chaldeans. Who's the Chaldeans? Magicians. Babylonians, right, yeah. So... It's interesting that it goes back to Babylon from a secular point of view, which is where everything got messed up. And before that, it was obviously attributed like Abraham, Seth, Enoch, all that, Adam. Uh, it is said by Achilles Tadius that the Egyptian and Chaldean signs were the same as everywhere else, but differently named. So 
In reality, all astronomers agree that the origin of astronomy is not to be found in history. Well, that's interesting. Uh, the most ancient use of zodiac is in the Hebrew scriptures. That's from the orbs of heaven. It's a modern astronomical word, not astrological, astronomical. <coughs> um, and lastly, there, there are Jes Jesuit missionaries who are said to brought astronomy to China where the Chinese emperor Yao is there to have divided the 12 signs by the 28 mansions on the moon. That's their view. But it is not said to have... Or, but they, they were not said to have invented any of them. So they really don't know where that source came from or they, they changed it. So, that said, I want to quote Job real quick. Um, Job 38, 31 through 32. This is an interesting passage because it gives us a little astronomy lesson. It also, basically the point of this is to show God's uh, sovereignty. Um, he's talking to Job, of course, and he says, Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? How many know what the Pleiades are? How many can find the Pleiades in the sky tonight? There you go. If you see a little blurry cluster of stars kind of kind of to the, I say southeast, below and to the right of Orion, it's in Taurus. It's a little, it looks like a little blur, but if you look at it, it's actually seven stars, called the seven sisters or Pleiades. Um, that's what it's referencing here. It says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? We can all find Orion. Can you lead? How many can't find Orion? Can't find Orion? All right, we'll, we'll talk later. <clears throat> it's huge. Anyway, um, can you lead forth a constellation? New American Standard says constellation. Um, King James says Matsaroth, actually, because it's the same word. Can you lead forth a constellation or basically move a constellation or guide it in its season and guide the bear or Arcturus? You know what Arcturus is, right? Remember that one? Okay. With her satellites. So what does that even mean? Well, it's basically saying, can you do this, Job? You know, I'm God. I can do this. You can't. But we kind of learned some things here. This is from a, a book called Is the Astronomy in the Book of Job Scientifically Consistent? Kind of a long title, but or a long article. But uh, so can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? It's been apparently recently discovered that Pleiades, I say recently, maybe in the last 20 years, um, the Pleiades and Orion are gravitationally linked to themselves. So like the Pleiades are so close together that they're gravitationally moving together. And so is Orion. Um, because those stars are just close enough together that they are attracted gravitationally. Um, so it's kind of interesting that it says, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion, like something holding them together. So, so it's kind of interesting that those two are said to be gravitationally con connected. Maybe not, who knows. And it says, and guide the bear or Arcturus in King James with her satellites. It was actually recently found that Arcturus has a bunch of satellite stars around it they couldn't see until recently. So you got the oldest book in the Bible telling us things that we are re just finding out. So it's kind of interesting. Okay, a lot of science tonight. I'm sorry about that for those of you that don't like that stuff. But um, Any questions before we go over the summary? You made a pretty good time. You know, I thought I was going to take, I thought I was going to go a little shorter than that. All right, so the summary is that the gospel of Jesus Christ has always existed. The gospel wasn't a reaction to sin.
So it wasn't like, again, like some people say knee-jerk reaction. So it wasn't like, oh, sin, we need a gospel now. We need, we need my son to die. That's not the way it worked at all. It was always planned that way. Uh, God knew from the beginning to end what was going to happen and what he would have to do. So, And the heavens, which include the stars, were made by God until of his glory. 